You can be seated as we look at the Word of God uh, this morning. The passage of Scripture that we read is kind of a big deal passage of Scripture. It's Acts chapter 2. It is what we consider to be the birth, the first day of the gathered church. It's also one of the first sermons that we have in Scripture that's preached by one of Jesus' followers. These are the moments, these are the days after Jesus is ascended back into heaven. It's a big deal passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 2, we begin in verse 32. Peter is preaching and he says this, This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has raised him, Jesus, has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And now when they heard, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. It's been a little while since we've had one of those TV shows that everybody is watching and talking about. I don't know if you remember all of those shows, but every once in a while, seems like sometimes in the summer they'd put on a show every single night of the week and everybody had to watch it. Everybody was talking about it. You go to work tomorrow and everyone had watched the same thing. One of those shows a little while ago was, was the Millionaire Show. You remember that? Who wants to be a millionaire? Uh, the answer always was no one ever said they didn't want to be a millionaire, but you remember the show. It's still on now, but just got to remember that, man, there was a time that we all watched that. We all talked about it. We all kind of knew what the questions were. We knew the contestants' names, where they were from. We knew how much money they had won, they had not won, where they stumbled up, and all those kinds of things. Because we were watching all of that together. And, and the show was really quite simple. Uh, you, you, you started with some really simple questions. There were multiple choice questions, but really they were the kind of questions that you would think anybody in the world should know the answer to, to those questions, and then we would chuckle when, 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 when they missed one of those really, really easy questions. But as, you, as the game went on, uh, the, the questions got harder and harder and harder, and then you're like, ooh, that's a challenging one. Ooh, I had to think really hard for that one. And then you got to the place where you're like, well, nobody on earth knows the answer to that kind of a question. That's impossible. That's beyond anyone to know. And so there was just this little uh, upswing of difficulty that the questions would have. But one of the things that they did to build in to make the show more interesting and maybe possible was they built in some helps when the questions got harder. You remember that? Uh, the, the most famous one, do you remember what that was? Phone a friend. That was, that was, that was the one. Uh, some of you said 50-50 where they took away the, half of the answers, but, but the, really the most famous one was the, the phone a friend. Now, 
I've never been on one of these game shows. I've never sat there. I've never been there under the lights. And I bet you being on one of those game shows with all of those people watching and the dramatic music and the pressure of like I could win more money than I've ever imagined before in my life, I bet you, I bet you there's some, some pressure there. I bet you that, that it's really, really hard. But man, I got to tell you, I have always felt for the phone of friends. I mean, that, 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 that's some pressure on their part to suddenly get this phone call in the middle of the day and to have this pressure. This person's whole financial future depends on whether you get the answer to this question right or wrong. Man, that is, that is some kind of pressure. And as you watch the shows, you see that there's a couple of different reactions that happen. Sometimes they phone the friend and the question is something that this person has no idea about in the world. And you can hear their emotion. They were so wanting to help. They were so ready to, to be this helpful person. They were so ready to help this person cross this line and really to succeed. And when they said, do you know the answer to this question? They had to say, no, your guess is as good as mine. I'm sure you're going to do fine. But you could hear the disappointment that they had signed up to be a phone-a-friend. That they had said, listen, if you need me, if you're in a tough spot, yeah, I can help. And then when the moment came and the phone call came, oh, I don't know the answer to that. But the flip side is that when they call them, and they said, I just finished reading a book about that. I know the answer to that. And they almost couldn't wait to spit it out. They were so excited to say, I know that answer. I can help you. I have exactly what you need. And those folks would be floating on cloud nine. In the scripture that we read a few moments ago, there was a, there was a phone a friend moment in there. Did you notice it? Peter had been standing before this huge crowd of people and he had been telling them about Jesus and he had been telling them the story of God at work through history up to the point of Jesus and what God had done in, through, for, from Jesus. And then it says, they turned to Peter and said, what should we do now? They phoned a friend. What do I do? Well, what do we do? You've told us this stuff about God. We, we've seen these truths about who God is. Now what are we supposed to do? One of the things that we want to be encouraging you to do is to be in conversations and to be around people and to be talking about the things of God and sharing your Jesus story. And what we want you to do is that we want you to be in some places where somebody turns to you and says, what do I do now? What should I do? We want to, to you to be in some places where you become somebody's spiritual phone-a-friend. And in that moment, we want you to have the experience of being a kind of person who has the answer. 
the kind of person that doesn't have to hem and haw and apologize and say, oh, man, I wish I could help. I, I just don't really know the answer to these kinds of things. Boy, I, I wish you had called somebody else instead of that. But instead, for you to be able to say, I know the answer. I have what you need in this moment. Here is that answer. That's what we want. That's what I know that you want, is if someone says to you spiritually, what am I supposed to do? I know that you want to be able to answer that question well. I think it's important that we're ready to answer that question. I think as we look at this passage of Scripture that, that, that we are reminded that it's important that we are ready because the Spirit of God is at work. That the Spirit of God is at work. As we come back to this passage in Acts chapter 2, one of the things that's really dramatic about this passage is that this is when the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes upon the church in a dramatic, miraculous, marvelous, and wonderful way. Now, the Holy Spirit does not work in the same way all the time in every circumstance, and it does things at different times in different ways. But I will tell you that at the heart, on this introduction, this public introduction of the Spirit of God upon the church, the Spirit of God was there to help people know about Jesus. In a miraculous way, the Spirit of God came upon this group of disciples and gave them the ability to communicate with a crowd full of people who spoke multiple languages for them to be able to speak in a way that they were understood by everybody in that crowd as though it was their own language. It's unclear whether it's a miracle of speaking or whether it's a miracle of hearing, but in some dramatic way, the Spirit of God made it possible for people to hear, know, and understand the good news about Jesus. Now, I will tell you that the Spirit of God does things differently in different times and places, and we can't always predict what the Spirit of God will do. But I will tell you this, that the Spirit of God, its first task in the church was to help people know and follow Jesus. And I will tell you that that same Spirit of God is just as much a work around us and in us and through us today as it has ever, ever been. In fact, I will tell you but I can almost guarantee you that someplace in your path this week, you will walk into the orb. You will walk into the circle of a place that the Spirit of God is actively working in someone's life. Because the Spirit of God is working. And when the Spirit of God is working, it is important that we know how to tell somebody about Jesus and give them hope. I'll also tell you that it's really important for us to be ready because people will surprise us. People will surprise us. This event that we're reading about here in Acts chapter 2 is a really significant event because it's a festival crowd. We talked a few minutes ago about the Strawberry Festival. There are people who come to Ponchatoula. They come out uh, to the fairgrounds uh, every single year for that event. In the history of Israel, there were different festivals. 
And for those festivals, they would travel to Jerusalem. And so you had some of the same people that would come to Jerusalem every one of the festivals. One of the festivals that they would come to would be for the festival of Passover. And that festival of Passover is the the festival, the event, the gathering, the huge crowd in which Jesus was arrested, tried, crucified, and days later raised again. This is seven weeks later. It's the next festival. The same people who had traveled there for Passover have, come, have gone back home and they have traveled back on this day. And they are back in Jerusalem. I want you to know that as Peter stands out there preaching to this crowd, I want you to know that as this crowd gathers to see what is all of the commotion, I want you to know that this is a crucifixion crowd. Not every single person was an exact match. But there were a lot of people who had been there seven weeks earlier who had gathered for the same commotion. And in that case, they had seen Jesus arrested, tried. And in the same days, they had cried out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And on this day, some of that same crowd, some of those same people, the people that had gathered again for the festival, This time, instead of crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, they said, tell us how to be a follower of Jesus. (laughs) That was a bit of a surprise. I don't think that you could have told Peter seven days earlier and said, listen, the next time that you gather and see a huge crowd here, they're not going to be crying crucify. They're going to be asking you how to be a follower of Jesus. There was no expectation of that. In fact, that crowd scared Peter and the rest of the disciples so much they ran away. There was no way seven weeks earlier that they would have said, you know what, next time I see that crowd, they're going to be asking me how to be a follower of Jesus too. In fact, I would tell you that if you had talked to them the morning of this next feast, said, hey, by the end of this day, that same kind of crowd that cried out for Jesus' death, is going to ask how to follow Jesus today. No way. No way. But people surprise us. Just yesterday at a a funeral, I had a conversation with a man right there. He, He told me that for most of his life, he announced to himself and to anyone else that would listen, I will never change. I have no interest in changing who I am. I have no interest in the things that you're talking about. I'm going to do things my way. And then he said, when I was 53 years old, the prime of his life, I say that because I'm 53, at the very peak of his life, he said, I gave my life to Jesus. Now there are people that he had literally spoken the words to. I will never change. I have no interest. And yet that man, because of the work of the Spirit of God in his life, said yes. In fact, he said later, I I met someone who said, I am so excited to hear that because I've been praying for you to say yes to Jesus for 26 years. 
26 years. That's why we have a box out there that we drop balls in when we pray for somebody. Just as a reminder, man, 26 years. That's a long time. You don't think at 24 and a half years they might have thought, you know what, I'm done. I've prayed enough. 26 years they prayed. We need to be ready to tell people about Jesus. We need to be ready to tell people how they're supposed to respond because people are going to surprise us. And people that you look out at, people that you think of, people that you have a relationship with, they said they will never, ever be interested. They may come to you and say, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? How do I respond to Jesus? We need to be ready because the Spirit of God is at work. We need to be ready because people surprise us. And then here's my favorite. We need to be ready because God wants to use us. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Hey, why on earth does God dis- determine that the kingdom of God, the extension of the good news from one generation to the next, from person to person, why did he put that in our hands? You, you look in the mirror and think, man, there's some things that I can get done changing the world. I don't know is one of them. But he determines, he chooses to use us. I think it's crazy. But it's what he does. But I will tell you, he created the entire cosmos with a word. He parted the Red Sea with a stick. He healed the blind man with a fistful of mud. He can use you. He can use me. Think of all that you bring to the table with your words, your mouth, all of your senses, your, your, your body, your relationships, your connections, your, your mind, all of those things. If he can use a stick, if he can use some mud, he can use you. He can use you. I, I checked you out before I preached this morning. Every person here is above stick, Okay? It was a little close in a couple spots. But every single person here is above stick. God wants to use you. So we need to be ready to answer the question, what am I supposed to do? Well, how do I share? How do I share? I will tell you that that you need to have a plan. When they asked Peter, what are we supposed to do? He had a plan. In fact, he says, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized. You, your children, everyone that you know, people who are far off. He says, that's what you need to do. Now, I will tell you that in terms of what do we share, what do we need to know, you need to talk to them about God. You need to talk to them about sin. You need to talk to them about our need. You need to talk to them about God's provision. You you need to talk to them about their response. Now that's a lot of stuff to try to keep inside of your head. But you need to have a plan. And I believe you need to have a tool. And so one of the things that I want to do this morning is I want to share with you a tool 
Some of you may already know it or, or not, but we're just going to talk through a tool this morning to help you share your faith. We, we, we got a, a video of it uh, right now. Well, my name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here at Two Cities Church, and we are currently in a series called No Other Gospel. Now, as believers, it's important that we understand the gospel and that we can explain it to other people. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through a tool called Three Circles. Now, surely you can see that we live in a broken world. There is pain, there is suffering, there is death. And we can even look to ourselves and we can see that we are not perfect. We fall short in a lot of different ways. God did not design the world to be this way. God's design was perfect. God designed for us to be in perfect relationship with him. But what we did is we rejected God. We rejected his perfect design. And what that is called is sin. And our sin separates us from God and it puts us back in this broken circle. Now, what we want to do is we want to escape this broken circle in a lot of different ways. And so sometimes we will look to relationships to escape. Sometimes we will look to financial security. Some of us will look to alcohol or drugs to escape, but none of those things are able to ultimately satisfy us or get us out of this broken circle. The good news of the gospel is in circle three here. And that is that God came to earth in the form of Jesus. And what Jesus did is he lived a perfect life of perfect obedience to God. And then he voluntarily laid his life down on the cross in the place of anyone who would repent and believe. And then he rose from the dead, proving that he had overcome sin and death and therefore made a way for us to be reconciled to God. Now, the way that you are taken from the broken circle to God's perfect design is two things. One, you have to turn. You have to turn from your sin and turn towards Christ. The biblical word for this is repent. And then the second thing is you have to trust. You have to trust in Christ for your salvation. You have to make Jesus the Lord of your life. He is in charge and you are not. And if you do that, then through Christ and what Christ has done, you are rescued from your sins and you are restored back to God's perfect design. And so I hope that... All right, did you see that? We call that uh, three uh, circles. Uh, three circles, I, I want us to think about it a little bit uh, more together. It, it is something that's simple that, that you can draw as, as well. We, we, we start with that first circle, and we talk about that brokenness. It's pretty easy to explain. We see it all around us all of the time. We, we, we see it. It seems like the world is broken. It seems like the culture is broken. It seems like the systems are broken. It seems like other people are broken. And if we get honest with ourselves, we even see that we are broken ourselves. Of course, that wasn't really God's plan. In fact, what we have here is we have God's perfect design 
where everything was right, where everything was whole, where there was no death, there was no destruction, there, there was no evil at all. But we rejected that. We, we've rejected that as a people. We've rejected that as individuals. We, we, we call that rejection sin. But it's anything that's disobedient to God. It's anything that's contrary to God. It's anything that we say to God, you know what, I don't care what you think, I want to do it my way. It's sin. So because of sin, we, we get dropped from God's perfect design into this brokenness. And we feel this brokenness in the very depth of our bones the very depth of who we are. And so we make all kinds of efforts to try to reach outside of that. But the gravitational pull of that brokenness is so strong that no matter what your effort is to break loose of that brokenness, it doesn't go anywhere. It's like trying to jump your way to the moon. We're just not getting there. We, we, the, the, that gravitational pull is so strong. But the third circle tells us the good news. It, it tells us that God came to earth in the person of Jesus, and he lived a perfect life. He voluntarily laid down his life on the cross and was raised again. And the power of God himself doing that creates an entire new world for us. Now the way in which we move from that broken world to the Jesus world, that broken circle to the Jesus circle is two pieces. It is to turn. Turn simply means to choose a different direction in our lives. Instead of continuing to be kind of connected to that brokenness, we, we return our hearts, our minds, and our spirit to God's perfect design. We, we kind of reverse that choice of sin that says, I'd rather do it my way than God's way. Instead, we, we turn back around and say, God, I don't have the ability to do it your way, but that's the direction that I want to face my life. So we turn, and then we trust. Part of what we trust is that there's no better way for us to live our lives than for Jesus to be in charge, the king, the ruler, the authority over our lives. And when we do this, he will rescue our lives. I love that word rescue. Man, whether you're stuck on the side of the road, whether you're stuck in the woods, whether your, your, your boat dies out, way offshore we have those moments like we need to be rescued Jesus comes to rescue our lives and he comes to restore us back to his perfect design three circles brokenness but that wasn't God's plan and then what Jesus does to restore that plan one of the things we did this morning is we didn't, put the, we didn't put the notes up on the screen because this was a no-notes Sunday. You were not permitted to take notes this week. 
mostly because we wanted to leave that back page for you. So what I want you to do this morning is I want you to take a look at that back page. If you have a pencil, uh, a pen, if you've got a giant Sharpie, if you've got one of those markers that smell like fruit, whatever it is that you got on you. Let's, let's, let's try to do those three circles together. We're going we're gonna to leave my, my piece of art up there. Um, but try to go as far as you can w- without, without copying that. But every once in a while, if you've got a peek, then, then take a peek. Take a moment, and let's, let's try to lay out our three circles. Is it coming? I'm going to swap inputs in the back there. Because one of the things that's kind of cool is I want you to see that if you go on YouTube and you just Google or YouTube search, that's what you do, uh, three circles, you'll find several different people uh, showing you how to do these three uh, circles. But I also want you to know that there's, a, there's an app called Life on Mission. If you go to your app store and you go to Life on Mission, it shows you how to do the three circles and you simply... Start here. This one actually starts with God's design, but it walks you through the same pathway, gives you a little bit of script there that you can help somebody with uh, as well. Several different ways for you to do that, and we want you to have those tools so that you can uh, share. We want you to continue to be praying for people, to be restored in their relationship with Jesus, to come to know Jesus for the first time. We want you to continue to be inviting people into a place where Jesus is central to all that we do. But we also want you to be equipped and ready and confident for you to tell somebody about Jesus. And if someone says, what do I do now? You have the ability to share that with them. That's the challenge. That's what the days of hope are all about. That's what the balls are out there, just as a reminder that that we are to be praying and inviting and to be sharing. And we kind of celebrate the fact that we've done that, and then we kind of challenge someone else to do that as well. And so would you continue in your commitment to pray, to invite, and to share, to share, to share? There's one more thing that I want to do this morning. We've taken a few minutes to talk about those three circles. And the, most, the, the, the big part of what we were trying to do is that, that we were trying to make sure that, that you knew how to share those three circles with somebody else. But it's also possible that you're here this morning and for some reason, maybe it's the Spirit of God, 
the truth of God, the truth of faith, has made sense in a way that has never made sense before. Those circles have helped you understand the brokenness, its relationship to God's perfect design, and the fact that it is Jesus. It is Jesus that solves and rescues us and allows us to be restored. It's possible that today may be the day that you're supposed to say, yes, I get it now. And I'm ready to turn my face in a different direction. And I'm ready to trust Him as being in charge of my life. And if that's where you are on this day, then I want to help you pray in this moment on how to say yes to Jesus. So let's do that. Jesus, there's so much that I still don't know and still don't understand. There's so many parts of my life that still aren't right. But if you are willing to rescue me from brokenness of this world and of my own life, then I do want to turn and trust. And I want you to be the king over my life. And I want to live to please you with my life so that I can be rescued and restored. I pray this in your name. Amen. That's a lot of words. You just have to get that spirit. You don't have to get that verbatim. But if you're willing to turn and to trust, he will rescue and restore. When you pray that, when you have that conversation with Him, then that is the day that you become a follower of Jesus. That is the day that you become a believer. That is the day you become a Christian. That is the day that you become part of the family of God. And one of the messages that Peter wanted to preach, that I want to preach, is, man, these walls are not that high. Jesus is not that far away. He's right here. If you will turn and trust, He will rescue and restore. So if that's what you just did, know today is the day that you became part of the family of God. And if that's the thing that's still, still on the tip of your tongue and that you have not spoken to Him yet, turn and trust. He will rescue and restore.